Morning Show, Sports Time 590, The Fan. Ben Ennis, Jesse Rubinoff in for Brian Gunning. It's 8.03. Nothing official on the William Nylander front yet. Feels like it's going to happen this week. Mm-hmm. I'd be surprised if it didn't happen this week. Maybe as early as today. Um, Nick Kiprios originally, 11 and a quarter, which is the exact same number as David Pasternak, who notably scored 61 goals a season ago. Yep. Uh, Elliot Friedman, updating that over the weekend. Like the number seems maybe to be 11 and a half. Again, over the full eight-year term. Either way, feels like if you were worried about William Nylander's departure at the conclusion of the season, feels like, uh, yeah, that's not something you're going to have to worry about. Now, how they field a competitive roster beyond this year with Austin Matthews making north of 13 and then the William Nylander 11 and a half and then the pending extension for Mitch Marner, it's a different story. I wonder, too, how... William Nylander's contract negotiations first time around as a restricted free agent. Of course, Brad Tree Living wasn't here for that. Mm-hmm. But he he knows, uh, and also like the Johnny Goudreau situation, like how how much that informs what has happened over the last couple of weeks that, okay, you can you can try and squeeze William Nylander. Maybe he breaks a little bit and, you know, maybe he doesn't want to go to free agent. Maybe he doesn't want to go to Chicago and make 12 and a half for a team that's not going to maybe be in the playoffs mm-hmm. next season. It's hard to see where they go from here necessarily, other than, you know, on the back of Conor Bedard, who's over the broken job, by the way, uh, which we haven't got to. Maybe yeah. we'll get to with Frank Cervelli. But um, I wonder how much, like, they they know that William Nylander, he was willing to miss an entire year of his career. Mm-hmm. Like, NHL careers don't last 50 years. If you're lucky, they last 20, but, like, in 10? No, like, 10, to give up, most, yeah. Yeah, to give away one, he was willing to do it over what he thought was the correct number for him. So I, I, I wonder how much that informed Brad Living's negotiations here. It's like, I, this guy's not going to blink. I know that. Yeah, well, yeah, well ask Frank. Like, I just don't, I, I don't know what other options Brad Living had beyond trying to play hardball during the summer, but it, it takes two to tango. Like, you can play hardball all you want. Mm-hmm. If they're not going to sign, they're not going to sign. And if you want to keep the player, you're going to have to extend a bridge to them at some point. And that's essentially what it looks like we've had here. They're going to have to pay a premium for a guy who's been really, really, really good. And you just hope that that continues over the length of an eight year deal, which is what we're hearing. That's a, it's a long time and it's going to take him to age 36. So mm-hmm. uh, you can just hope that you get this sort of production for the majority of that contract. Uh, yeah, this season he's been really great. Last season he's he's been really great. He's getting better and better and better. Maybe it's a 200-point season next year. All right, uh, time now for our Insider, brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Today's Insider, the great Frank Cervelli, president of hockey content at DailyFaceoff.com. Good morning, Frank. Good morning, boys. How are you doing? Doing very well. So eleven and a half is is a, is a large number. It's just reports. Yeah, like I I don't know if your reports differ from that, but it does feel like that's where this is headed, uh, which is two hundred fifty k more per year than uh, David Pasternak, who scored sixty one goals uh, a mm-hmm. season ago. Um, how, how how does that number look to you, Frank? Well, I was just gonna say that's the one comparison that really stands out to me that I really struggle with is. David Pasternak, 61-goal scorer, made less than Nylander on his previous contract, which I heard you guys talking in the intro. Mm -hmm. You know, we know that Nylander's, you know, sort of uh, put himself out there to to get to that $7 million figure. And 
Pasternak has had some unbelievable seasons since then at a level that, frankly, Nylander hasn't gotten to yet. And now Nylander is going to come in north of that, at least what it sounds like. And that just, it seems like a lot. It really does. You're talking about a guy who last year finished 20th in the league in scoring and had a great year. And this year has been excellent. But now you're, he's, what you're looking at is a top five cap hit. And it's not so much what it does to the Leafs overall cap structure, because I'm not as concerned about that based on what they can put together for next season, which with the cap increase is, is not too bad, but it's more just the statement of what are you going to be getting from Nylander moving forward? This year has been great, Mm -hmm. but are you expecting top five production for each of the next, let's just say five years? Is that really, is that where you think Nylander is going to be? Yeah, you put it in that context, and it certainly makes it seem like Nylander's going to be expensive. 11.5 seems like a, a ton of money, but uh, when you look at where he's been in his career and where he is moving forward, you start to think like, okay, what's the ceiling for this guy? Because you mentioned it, top 5 or top 10% in, in cap space, uh, top 5 in terms of raw cap hit, like the Pasternak comparables are really, really hard. You mentioned building the team for next year, like, and how it's not that big of a deal. That's something that Ben and I were talking about a little bit earlier in the show. You don't think that it's going to present some major concerns moving forward. I know they have Bertuzzi and Domi coming off the books, potentially making around, you know, $5 million for Bertuzzi, but it feels like they're going to have to use spare parts when you have this many guys making that amount of money uh, double digits. They have four players making that much. Like it's not much room to do other stuff. Not really. I, I actually don't think the picture even changes at all for next year, because essentially what you're doing is you're taking the four and a half million dollar projected salary cap increase, and you're handing literally every penny of it to Nylander. So Nylander takes the cap increase. Mm-hmm. You've got Bertuzzi and Domi up. You've got Brody up on the back end. Yes, you need to figure out your goalie situation and how much you're going to spend in that department. But you really just have to grin and bear it through one more year. And then John Tavares' deal is up. And if you're expecting that he takes some kind of hometown discount to stay, you know, you take another... So the following year, two years from now, you take, I don't know, five million bucks off of his cap hit. And then you get another four and a half or $5 million increase. So that's another 10 mm-hmm. plus whatever other UFAs you have that summer. I mean, you can start to see the picture opening up. My question would be, is this the most prudent way to spend it? Like, it, you know, we just talked about ceiling and that to me is the biggest question when it comes to Nylander is, has he already reached his ceiling? And if so, for a guy that the Leafs were hoping to get just a shade under 10 before this season started, would they be better off taking this money and spending it on three players and to try and improve the overall depth, especially on defense? Not that there's anyone quite apparent yet as to who you'd even spend it on, but is this the best way to balance things out? I understand the idea of saying, Hey, you know, this guy is a critical cog for us, but is, with the other guys that you're already paying, unless you're making a determination that at some point someone else in that group isn't going to be there and you know that you want Nylander be, mm. to be the guy, which we don't have any line of sight on, 
other than to say that obviously at this type of figure, if that's what it comes in at, that they feel really strongly about him being part of it. So say they decided not to give Nylander this kind of money. Like what would have been the best option in your estimation for Bradshaw living? Because I'm trying to go through options in my head of what he could have done as opposed to giving Nylander such a rich contract. Is it let him walk and, you know, in the NHL, having a hard cap is a little bit different in other leagues, but letting him walk does give you a little bit more flexibility in terms of being able to fill out the rest of your roster. Or when you realize that he wasn't going to sign for nine and a half or $10 million in the off season, do you think a trade is something that the Leafs maybe should have explored to try and build the team out differently? Because to your point, like there are always going to be those that say you cannot pay these guys this amount of money up front you can't win without a true number one defenseman or a goalie who at least has potential to get super hot in the postseason. Those critics aren't going away anytime soon. Well, they, they shouldn't because the Leafs haven't achieved any measure of success to this point in the postseason to even point to it being a viable cap structure. Um, I think because it's so out of whack and because they haven't been able to spend on defense because of that and, there's been decisions that, that have been made. I think to answer your question, they were really between a rock and a hard place with the timing of all of this and mm-hmm. that Brad True Living comes in last summer. He's in an evaluation mode. Mm-hmm. He hasn't seen everyone up close and personal just yet. This the The idea for me would have been make the decision last summer. And maybe they decided then that this was the path that they wanted to go down before he had another unreal season that this was a guy that they couldn't afford to, to let go that, you know, he's so critical to team success that this is the figure that he needs to come in at whatever it takes, got to get it done. But from a timeline perspective, the, the, the clear answer is last summer Yeah, when there'd been a, there would have been a ton of value still coming off of the season that he had with one more year left on his deal under seven. Yeah, but Brad for Living did the thing that Kyle Dubas did before him that anybody like anybody that just watches this team play during the regular season does, which is like, how could this fail? Like, no, this let's keep this together. This obviously works. Look at these guys during the regular season. And and not to say that it won't work at some point during the postseason. And they did win a round last year. Let's not forget, <laughs> Frank, that they won in six games. How could we possibly forget? <laughs> it can't. It can't do that. So they ha- it's not they, they haven't accomplished anything. They've accomplished one thing. But yeah, and we'll, we'll see. Like I, I, I would I would probably make the same gamble. It's just, man, it's looked not it's so expensive. Great. I, I just I, I get I get what they're doing. I just I think the ceiling is has been hit. Maybe. Um, does this allow uh, Brad for living a little more flexibility via trade or not flexibility? Obviously, like yeah, <laughs> you're not flexible when you're paying a couple of guys what uh, 25 million bucks uh, at the top of your cap structure. But does this like the cost certainty thing? Like, the, does this now allow Brad for living to move off of this thing? This was like number one on the agenda. Yep. Number two is to like hit the trade market now. Well, yeah, now you've you've achieved priority number one, it, assuming this gets done, and you now know exactly what you're spending moving forward that you can really begin to take a hard look at your defense mm-hmm. and you know what that cap structure looks like for next season. You could take on a player with term if you wanted to. Um, you know, I still think figuring out the goaltending situation just for, not just for this year, but beyond, 
um, in terms of cap space as well, like figuring out what to do with Samsonov's contract to me should be number two here. Is he coming back to play? Are you giving him another crack? And if not, I think you're, you're able to potentially, if you're not going after another goalie and you feel pretty good about Martin Jones and about Joe wall playing together, which I don't know if you saw the stat yesterday. I think it was from Sportsnet stats that the Leafs, if you take out Samsonov's numbers this year, would yeah. have the best save percentage in the league. Yeah, I saw that. I don't see any reason to not feel pretty good about that, provided that Joe Wall feels pretty good coming off of the high ankle sprain, which is always tough to deal with, that, hey, you could have potentially $7-plus million to spend with Klingberg's LTIR money on your back end. That's a pretty tantalizing proposition for a team that has now solved, you know, for potentially two of its biggest cap problems in Nylander and the goaltending. Where should they be looking for help on the defensive end? I know there's the names for the Calgary Flames that have been rumored about for pretty much all season long. But if they are, in fact, looking to supplement on the back end, like where should Bradshaw Living be looking? You're you're wanting a name but I, I think the true answer here is, and it's not a team, it's you, you need multiple bodies. Yeah. I think you need three guys if you could possibly reach that far and bring in, whether it's through retained transactions or what, but someone like Chris Tanev just being one of them, that you're not in a position where, you know, no offense to the guys that they've used this year and, and have played you know, somewhat admirably at the bottom of the lineup, but to the point where you're not using Simone Benoit and William Lagasse and, <laughs> and all these guys. That I think that's the, but that's the the mark of a true cup contender. No, yeah, you're right. No, it's it's incredible what they've gotten out of those guys, and yeah, Simone Benoit has been a revelation. Um, yeah, especially for you know a, a Ducks team, uh, it doesn't it's not exactly overflowing with talent to to let him walk after he played almost 20 minutes a game. A season ago, uh, he's been great. Yeah, prob- probably going to want to bank on somebody uh, other. But than if him. he's your seven, don't you feel yeah. so much better than what you've been asking 100%. for? Definitely. Like that's that's the point. Is yeah. the makeup of this needs to change? Speaking of seven, the Florida Panthers have won seven in a row, <laughs> like against not like weak opposition. The teams they're running through, like on the road, it's ridiculous, Frank. Right now, and the Leafs, as a, as of today, if the season ended today, it, it won't. Um, they would be locked into yet another matchup against that Panthers team, except it would come around earlier and they wouldn't have home ice advantage. Mm-hmm. I mean, how close to being cup favorites at this point in the season are the Panthers in your eyes? Uh, pretty close. I'm not favorites, but they're certainly in the contender category in the East. I mean, they've the way that they withstood the injuries that they had at the beginning of the season was ultra impressive. Their goaltending has just been fine, which I think maybe not for the amount of money they're spending on it, but it's certainly at least you're not asking too many questions um, in terms of how they've played in net, but up front, it's just elite. And the craziest part about what's happened in Florida so far is Matthew Kachuk hundred plus point scorer has been very pedestrian so far this year in terms of production. And yet they haven't missed a, a beat. I mean, look at, the season that uh, Sam Reinhardt's had, it's been incredible. So um, I think this Panthers team, with the run that they had last year, to enter this year without their top two defensemen for the first seven weeks of the year, look great, and then now they come back, and obviously they're even stronger 
it, it tells you how strong their forward group is. And the crazy part to me, aside from the Kachuk stats, is since we, this will put a big bow on our conversation, mm. look at what they're spending on their forward group. Yeah, yeah. No, it's great. Well, it helps what? to have there, no there, tax, the, yeah. That same question is going to come up, though. Now what are you yeah. paying Sam Ryan? No, I, I know. I get it. All right. Uh, but we, by the way, do you know that um, – Matthew Kachuk at nine five mm-hmm. is putting more money in his jeans with the no state income tax uh, and U.S. federal taxes oof. than William Nylander does at eleven yeah. five. That's yeah. a tough pill to swallow. But I mean, it's only like perfect temperature and sunny every day. Also, when he's at home. Yeah, I mean, and there's like, but also like not not a group of jackals days. like us talking about him. Sure. <laughs> But I, I'm of the belief that you should, you should want that type of pressure, that you, you should want to play in a market where people care as much as they do in the city of Toronto. But, yeah. No. I'd want to play somewhere where it matters. Yeah, me too. Uh, but I, I, I get the As opposed argument. to, like, you, I mean, there is something to say about living life anonymously down there, but, <laughs> yeah. I mean. I take that route. I could never handle the pressure when I was playing growing up. I was a goalie, and and, and I would just put you me just somewhere. You just want the path of least resistance, and I would just like to play golf on off days. Frank. It sounds so. <laughs> it's just so yeah, enticing. The golf. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, the golf is a big thing. All right, would you have brought? Would you have brought up the the World Juniors if if I hadn't brought it up? Like you, this is your opportunity to talk about the state of USA <laughs> hockey right now. No. Like I had- did that last week with Ailish and Justin. I wore my <laughs> USA shirt. I got it out of my system. Okay, so yeah, you, you know. I mean, I, I still, like, until I've been proven incorrect and we see a best-on-best best with Canada, in which Canada doesn't look like the preeminent hockey superpower, I'm still going to be of the belief that that's the case. But, yeah, that's signs right. are, are pointing in, again, a not generally great direction for the rivalry between these two countries, from my perspective. At some point, the math was just going to math. Ugh. I mean, with 10x the population, yeah, I agree. it's going to happen. It's just, it hasn't happened yet, but we're getting closer to having the conversation. Okay. Uh, I hope we don't have to have that conversation, though. All right. I, no need I, to gloat. I'm a proud American. Don't need to rub it in. <laughs> Good for you. Uh, yeah, no, that's the Americans not known for rubbing in. That's for sure. <laughs> All right. Uh, Frank, great chat as always. Talk again soon. Have a good week, guys. You Thanks, too. Frank. Frank Saravelli. He was our insider brought to you by <laughs> Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Yeah, 10x the population participation percentage wise we participate more in that sport in this country than they do in the united states but i guess you know are you concerned about the state of hockey in canada not the state of hockey here right like in the world juniors didn't do anything to like the canada's performance in sweden it doesn't impact this discussion at all right mm-hmm. but yeah like you look at the austin matthews of it all and like the state of I mean, who would be the number one goaltender for Canada That's in a best-on-best? Best? Why like, do we have no good goalies? I Quebec is not holding up its end of the bargain. That's where the, the goalies are supposed to be birthed from. And, like, I'm not either because my two kids play hockey. Neither of them are goalies. Mm-hmm. And, in fact, like, I, listen, they can do whatever they want, but I certainly put it in their ear. They're like, you don't want to be a goalie. You got to skate, right? Like, um, so, yeah, that's part of it. But yeah, it, it's, it would be interesting, to say the least, to see best-on-best best where, yeah, they got – Austin Matthews, they have all their great oh. young players. And yeah, we got Connor McDavid, Connor Bedard. Yeah. And got, yeah, we got, I mean, it would be, would, would Canada be favored in a best on best? Probably just because we, it, like the Chiefs, and it's, I'm not comparing Canada's performance to 
what Kansas City did this season. <laughs> but I would say, like, until we see it not manifest itself on the ice, like, they're, they got the belt. It is like one of the saddest things uh, of our sporting lifetimes that we haven't seen best on best since. We, we might not see McDavid and Crosby ever suit it's, up together. It's absurd. And, I mean, maybe, maybe next year in that bizarro World Cup-type tournament. But yeah, in the Olympics, it's not likely to happen. The Golden Goal is like what a top three sports moment for oh, yeah. the entire country. Like yeah. Every sports fan in this in this country, and we just haven't had anything even close to it mm-hmm. from a Canadian hockey perspective since. No, we had Team North the Olympics, America. Yeah. We, no, we had Team North America. Austin Matthews' first goal on <laughs> Scotiabank Arena, being assisted by Connor McDavid. Yeah, that, that was uh, no. We have nothing. No, it's just like the the World Juniors is great. You know, the the women at the World Championships have had some incredible games. Mm-hmm. The Olympics too. It, but it just hasn't, we haven't had anything close to that Sidney Crosby moment yet. And, and you just want to see, it's not even about that. You just want to see the best players play against each other. Mm-hmm. Like how how have we not had McDavid and Crosby play together? And like, why are we waiting until the U.S. is this insurmountable beast yeah. before we play them in international competition again. Like we should, we should have for the last 10 years been beating up on the Americans. Yeah. And now and we're going to play oh, for the yeah. first time, yeah. whatever it is in 2025, potentially. And suddenly they're going to be better than us. Yeah. We'll How do we say, let that happen? I, I, I don't know. And yeah, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of hand wringing for something that hasn't yet happened, but you can see it building. And again, yeah. they just won the world juniors. <laughs> Which is not oh. a best on best, even for junior players, right? Like our best junior players are in the NHL right now. Yes. But uh, that's okay. All right. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about uh, uh, more more fun things to talk about than Canada being surpassed as the, the hockey superpower. It's the Raptors who are, one, watchable, and two, like capable of winning games against better than average opponents. I don't know if yesterday applies, honestly. Warriors are pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we'll talk to Blake Murphy of the Raptors show next as the Fan Morning Show continues. Ben Ennis, Jesse Rubinoff, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Merrick Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Ben Ennis, Jesse Rubinoff, and for Brent Gunning, who will be back tomorrow, fresh off wisdom teeth extraction uh raptors <laughs> won yet another game yesterday in san francisco against the warriors putting up 133 points that coming on the heels of putting up 130 in a loss on friday in sacramento before that 116 in memphis before that 124 at home against the cavaliers the first game of the rj barrett emmanuel quickly mm-hmm. era mm-hmm. if nothing else and it's more than this. The Raptors' offense is more than cromulent. It is, it's like, dare I say good? Like, the Raptors have a good offense. Oh, definitely. Fourth in the league now. Four-game sample size, but mm-hmm. fourth in the league. Yeah, four-game sample size, and they, they've won three of those four games. The game they lost on Friday was against a Kings team that shot uh, 200% from three, and they still had a chance <laughs> to win it at the end of the game. Uh, let's talk to Blake Murphy of the Raptors show. Long time no talk. How's it going, pal? Uh, better these last four games. Oh a lot God. more fun to cover. Uh, a lot more new stuff to talk about. It's uh, It's been a breath of fresh air. Relief. Fan-wise and content-wise, yeah. for sure. Your show is called The Raptors Show. <laughs> and, like, honestly, there there was a month uh, there to start the season. I was like, oh, they have to do... They talk about this team for, like, multiple hours every single day. 
I my uh, it's it's not you're not breaking rocks for a living, Blake. But that that was you must have been staring down the barrel of of 82 games of that and thinking, hmm. Yeah, maybe uh, some sick days upcoming. Yeah, it was it was getting pretty close to the Thunder show at one yeah, point. Right. I was just finding any excuse to talk about Shay and Chad and Jalen Williams. Uh, yeah, and then certainly when the Shohei stuff was happening, I was like, huh, maybe Jay's Talk Plus makes an early appearance. Uh, look, it's, it's obviously even in bad times, it's still a lot of fun to, to cover the team. But this is... And you could, honestly, it's only been the one home game because they, they hit the road right away. Mm-hmm. But that day at shoot around, that day at the game that night, like you can you can sense Ugh. at least a little bit that vibes. they were waiting for something to happen too. Finally vibes, man. Like we were counting on the vibes and yeah, I, I, I was dubious of that. And and it's more than vibes. It's actual, you know, uh, uh, um, you know, very good basketball uh that's being played but also like there it shouldn't be discounted like there is something outside of just the basketball you're like i don't know if it's a relief or if it's just like hey just mix it up a little bit something happening the dam breaking there is like a a non-quantifiable element to what's happened over these four games yeah the, there is and look that's not to say anything negative about og and nobody who you guys know how, how fond i am but you know i think there was an you're element the sexy of, blogger the sexy blogger pick. yeah the sexy blogger pick um look i think there was a, probably at least some element of well are are you trading me like like why am i waiting around for this um because it had been you know a year and a half two years rumors now that's still going on with pascal siakam but you at least tied up one of those ends and then you know to the vibes part this is the point i kept making in the preseason when they went 4 and 0 is like that only really matters but it can snowball if you win a few games so now the fact that you have that and you've you've kind of hit the ground running here like if they go one and three over these four games i don't really think emmanuel quickly trying osmos for the first time is moving the needle but (laughs) when you're three and one suddenly and rj's threatening canadian basketball records and stuff that that stuff feels even bigger yeah i mean like a they're fun again and b like they look good again, which is the craziest thing. And it's hard to obviously extrapolate, you know, it's been four games, so you don't want to read too, too much into it. But statistically, Blake, there have been a lot of really good things, whether it's their shooting numbers, their offensive rating numbers, which has them in the top four in the NBA over those four games. Like it's, it's hard to reconcile. Like this team is so much different from the team basically a week and a half ago and you start to wonder and let your imagination go a little bit, like where could they be if they just keep the band together through the rest of the season? Because they have looked really good through these four games. And you could also talk yourself into, well, they blew a lot of big leads when they were playing just completely overmatched bench units. And now that the bench is more stable, I, I don't think you want to go too far down that line because Doing that is kind of how you got into this roster situation in the first place in the Mm -hmm. 2021-2022 season where that was very fun and they overperformed, but you don't want to, you know, over-index to a a small sample of being better than you anticipated. But things make a lot more sense now. And I think the most important thing you're looking at here in this 3-1 and stretch in how this team is playing is... Well, okay, what what are the next steps? Whether it is or isn't with Pascal Siakam, what makes sense around Scotty Barnes? What plays well with Emmanuel quickly? Where does RJ Barrett fit? Those are the important things you're looking at from here. And I think right away you're seeing, 
well, this makes a lot more sense. And again, this isn't to like OG's the guy they sent out, but this is a, a huge win-win. Every every New York radio station right now is doing this same hit, talking about right. how good a fit OG Ananobi is. Um, but the offense makes a lot more sense for a team that didn't have a lot of guys who could create their own shot, who could you know dribble, pass, and shoot, who could space the floor a little bit. Um, suddenly, turning one OG Ananobi, who was a very good knockdown shooter, into two you know, pretty good all around offensive pieces is a, uh, is a huge breath here. So, um, you know, some work to, to still do and figure mm-hmm. out what fits around these pieces. But I think you can see pretty early that, you know, fit matters and how skill sets line up together matter. Even if right now, OGN and Obi is quote unquote, the best of the three players come, you know, a playoff series time or whatever. Um, I think you can be pretty happy with, with the fit and certainly with what quickly shown us uh, be pretty happy that you probably got long-term the best player in the trade. Yeah. Uh, I, I keep referencing your piece that you wrote a couple of weeks ago and in, in talking about potential trade targets. I believe it was in reference to a, pa- a Pascal Siakam trade, but it still applied to an OG and an Obi trade that it's like, you're not trying to accrue first round picks necessarily because, you know, Scotty Barnes already exists. You're trying to find a guy that is, it has the potential to take another step is perhaps not in a, a situation that uh, best allows him to to flourish. And like, I don't know, if, I don't think Emmanuel quickly was, was on your list, but he like, was. he was on your list. Okay. Like yeah. th- he's the ideal guy, right? Like a guy that's been good. Um, and just in a situation in New York is coming off the bench and like given an expanded role, giving a, a starting spot, like could turn into a real star and, so far, so good with that. Nine assists in the first half yesterday. And yeah, didn't have the great shooting day. But yeah, we know he's a capable shooter from beyond the arc. And I think for for those reasons and, and the obvious need at that position, he was kind of the headliner of a deal that involved a guy that's, you know, from Mississauga and, and a former <laughs> third overall selection. And lo and behold, he has the 37-point game yesterday. It's a shame he was in there even during car- a couple minutes of garbage time. I thought he was going to you know, at least attempt another three to get to 40 points and set the Canadian Raptors record. But either way, like he was spectacular and he's had moments where he's been really, really good in small sample this season. We have a large sample for him as an NBA player. And there's been some moments and he shot 40% as a sophomore, right? Um, but the effective field goal percentage and just like the, the field goal percentage as a whole has been pretty low. He hasn't been that um, that uh, efficient a player over the course of his career. Like RJ Barrett, that's the guy I'm... I'm most interested in. I think I know that Emmanuel quickly is going to fit and is going to be good. RJ Barrett is, you know, Zach Lowe's talking about him on his podcast being a toxic asset when it comes to the value of his contract. What, what do you see at RJ Barrett in the next half decade? Yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating question. And to the point about, you know, Zach Lowe's reporting, he, he was only referencing one front office right. executive in the, and I, I kind of canvassed some people as well. And it was, it came out more, you know, that's a neutral to slightly negative asset. And what I mean by that is three years, 85 million left on that deal. You know, you're not, you don't have to pay a team in first round picks to take on that contract, but if you trade them, no teams like, Oh yeah, here's extra stuff for him. It's just kind of, yeah, that, no, that's it's not Wiggins level toxicity. Holy cow. Yeah. I mean, Wiggins is like, yeah, you're going to have to stack Kamingo moody pods, a couple firsts. <laughs> uh, that's, that's a bad one. So no, with RJ, it, it's, um, you know, it's going to be, cool to see how this develops because like you said he has shot the three better in the past we know rj is like a legendarily hard worker and things like that um the things that haven't come around in his game are things that 
generally take guys a couple years to figure out. And, you know, we've we've gone through that with some individual players here in Toronto of, okay, well, you figured out the scoring. Now, how do you score more efficiently? Okay, now you've figured out how to score more efficiently. How do you pass and use that defensive attention to make teammates better? Um, that's going to be a, a longer term thing for RJ. But I think what the Raptors have probably asked him here is like, Look, man, the baseline R.J. Barrett is a starting caliber player. Mm. Don't worry so much about that. And don't worry so much about you got to get 25 every game out, no matter what the defensive attention is. And and we've seen it, even though he's been awesome in these four games, you know, sometimes a little bit of tunnel vision and transition or, or driving into traffic and stuff. I think the Raptors are probably just going to challenge him to do a couple things a little bit better. And when you're. When you already have a foundation of being this solid all around, doing just a couple things a little bit better is going to go a really, really long way. Get that three-point percentage up from 33% where it was with New York to 36% here, say. Cut those turnovers from two a game to one and a half a game. Um, and, and suddenly then R.J. Barrett looks like a moderately efficient player instead of an inefficient player. And and that looks a lot better. So I, I don't... Look, I would love if 37 points on 20 field goal attempts is the, uh, is the norm here I, I don't think that's the case but I think there's definitely like like RJ's in year five so you you have a good idea who he is he's also only 23 and sometimes some of those kind of second layer offensive skills take a little bit all right so they're better the heck yeah. do you do now like you already got you you traded away OG Ananobi and you ended up getting pieces that are helping you right now do you try and approach it in the same vein with Pascal Siakam, knowing that it's probably not going to get you as much value because his contract is expiring unless he, you know, somehow makes a deal with the team that he's being traded to, to resign there, which we know he is already unlikely to do. Or do you hang on to Pascal Siakam and see what you can do with this team and how high you can move up the standings and whether you can make a playoff run or some sort of crazy thing that seemed impossible a week and a half ago. Like what is your lean? Because uh, you know, I'm trying to figure it out still. It seems like a, a suddenly very complicated thing to try and figure out, but which direction are you going? Half a game out of the play and let's go. Um, Look, so so first of all, on the Siakam, you know, potential re-signing thing, the, the, for anyone who doesn't know, the the timeline has passed where he couldn't sign an extension with a new team now. he Well, he could, but it wouldn't be one that he would sign. It would just be a small two-year extension. So what we're headed for is if someone acquires Pascal, they get his bird rights so they can go over the cap to re-sign him in the offseason. And Siakam's camp might suggest to certain teams they would or would not re-sign. Um, I tend to think that's usually more bluff than anything because the team that offers you the most money and can go over the cap to do that is is probably where you're going to end up signing. Um, look, this has been a fun couple of games, and Pascal obviously fits with these guys really well. What I would be a little frustrated if the front office did, however, was have eight years of information on Pascal Siakam go through two off seasons and two trade deadlines of trying to figure out what they want to do, what the direction is. Does Pascal Siakam's timeline match Scotty Barnes? And then make that decision based on, you know, 10 games of information after a trade rather than how all the information that they've been waiting on for, for this whole thing. So um, I, I think it's positive and you could certainly be more comfortable with them staying put. And then, you know, if he stays put, there better be a, a contract extension the day after the trade deadline, because right. I certainly have no interest in running back the Fred Van Vliet. Uh, well, maybe you can use his bird rights to sign and trade him mm. uh, off season plan. Um, so look, I, I think, it, look, I, 
I don't think this small sample, as fun as it is and as nicely as the pieces fit, should change anything for this front office because the question has never been, is Pascal good and can you play good basketball with him? It was, well, this Pascal about to turn 30 makes sense as a core piece with Scotty Barnes, who is uh, 22. And, you know, how do you... Can you mesh those timelines or do you need to trade Pascal for probably lesser players, but who are maybe a little more logical, say, in 2025, 2026 on this roster? So I I don't think this small handful of games should should change what they're thinking there. If you wanted to keep them, you should still want to keep them. If you thought a trade was necessary, uh, you should probably still think a trade is necessary. Should should the fact that... They haven't signed him to an extent, uh, an extension yet. Should that be informative as as far as our our look into the front office's thinking around the player? Um, my, the, my read on this and the latest that you know in conversations around around the arena and stuff like that is basically that they are keeping options open. And this front office has always valued flexibility. And this is about that as well. Whatever you think of the optics or, or how this might feel for the player, um, until that extension is signed, they have the option to trade him. So once you sign that extension, the trade option goes away for six months. So I think at this point, um, you know, look, I, I thought it was uh, I thought it was a little interesting and a little curious that he didn't sign an extension before the season, because then you would have been heading into a situation where, oh, the six month clock expired by the deadline. You could move him then. He's got his money. So you're not heading into the season with this question over top of everything. And here we are still asking the same things in January. Um, I, I think that there are probably extension talks ongoing still. My read earlier in the season was that there had been extension talks, but the Raptors weren't offering the full max, so a full four or five-year max, um, and and Pascal's camp was willing to wait it out if that wasn't on the table. So uh, maybe they revisit that. I still have a little trouble seeing him getting like a four or five-year max, um, just given the, the age and what the potential free agent market is. Um, I, I think... At this stage, like January 8th, exactly one month from the trade deadline, you may as well just run it out to the to the deadline at this point in case someone gets really desperate. Mm. Um, but no, I, I think I think him not having an extension at the start of the regular season was telling at the I'm not surprised that nothing's been worked out in season. Okay, so the, the the Raptors just played a potential suitor for his services. So the Warriors, yeah, I guess they're going to add to to that team because you have to. Because like Steph Curry isn't going to go over nine from three every game, um, but they they need him, yeah, a, a lot. <laughs> and and yeah, Draymond was at least in the building yesterday. That Warriors team looks uh, like they're more than a Draymond away from being what they expect to be. Uh, Jonathan Kaminga is the, the the guy that I guess has been bandied about in in trade rumor of former seventh overall selection. Of course, yeah, he alone doesn't do it. You have to make the, the contracts match, but you know, maybe throw a Chris Paul contract on, on the pile there. I mean, what do you think is, is of Jonathan Kaminga as a potential trade target? Yeah, I mean, it, it's fine. Like, he's not as... The, the hard part with anything Pascal Siakam is going to be Siakam's meant so much to his franchise and been an all-NBA guy. You're not going to get a piece back who's an all-NBA guy. And I... You know, I like Kaminga as a prospect still. I, he didn't have the best game yesterday, but I think he still flashed a little bit of the offensive talent that's there underneath the, like, 99th percentile athleticism. He he had a nice little um, post-up play where with the footwork on fading away from the help defender looked really nice. I, like, that's that's good stuff. I don't think he's enough for fans to get, like, crazy excited about. If I'm talking with the Warriors, I probably want two of... Kaminga, Moody, Pajemski, and a pick. 
right? Like you're probably, I think you're probably trying to hope to get two of those uh, in a package. And then if Wiggins is in the deal instead of Chris Paul's contract, like you got to give me everything yeah. that's not <laughs> nailed down. Um, so look, I think this is also a case where the OG deal pushed across the finish line six weeks before the trade deadline, because there was going to be no individual player better than Emmanuel quickly put in a deal. And the Knicks probably said, look, if we're shopping quickly, we want this done right now. And lots of teams would give us good players for quickly with Pascal. You know, you're probably, it's not as simple as this. Cause like if a team throws dr- enough draft picks in there that this changes it, but if you're the Raptors, you're probably looking at who is the single best prospect we can get back in a trade. And now that Sacramento is not going to put Keegan Murray on the table. Atlanta's not going to put Jalen Johnson on the table. Uh, that question gets a little tougher to answer, especially with some of these Western conference teams that, yeah, have Kaminga types who are not, you know, not surefire core pieces, but are pretty interesting. You just got to, uh, you know, you'll have to make peace with the timeline aspect of the trade more than just the, uh, you know, who is the better player. Like, like, I don't know that in a Pascal trade, you're getting like the OG trade where you say, yeah, we got the best player in the deal eventually. Yeah, it's, it feels like those guys aren't the most I- intriguing, which leads me to my uh, final question for you. Like, is there any chance that the Raptors try and explore a shorter term deal with Pascal that maybe if he signs a two or three year deal with Toronto, he then has more value moving forward so that if they choose to trade him next year and they've played out the string and the team's not actually as good as we think it potentially could be next year, they decide to trade him and then maybe can get something uh, of a little bit more value than a uh, Jonathan Kaminga because Siakam's under contract for a couple more years. I think they've tried to get a shorter deal done, uh, and n- maybe not with the specific purpose of then turning around and trading him later, but kind of maintaining this flexibility and not making the five-year commitment to a guy who's about to be thirty. I think that would make sense to revisit. Um, you know, optics and, and player treatment-wise, you probably don't want to sign him and then immediately uh, trade him in the <laughs> offseason. Yeah. And the, the six month window still applies. So, so if he signed an extension today, for example, you'd have to wait until July 8th to deal him. Um, but th- that's usually fine. You could figure that stuff out. Um, I, I think they've explored shorter deals and Pascal hasn't signed them because he was, you know, hoping for a, a mm-hmm. longer max or a full max or something like that. Um, maybe they, they find a middle ground with a player option where they go like two plus one or something like that. I think if he's still on the roster post deadline, they'll revisit, you know, two and three and maybe even four year. But if you're going four year, probably sub max uh, frameworks. Blake, uh, I, I didn't expect so early, at least for you to be like having more interesting topics on the Raptors show than you would on Jay's talk plus right now. Like I, I know you got spicy IKF talk. Um, oh yeah, bubbling below the surface, but let's delay that for another day. Okay, yeah. Paolo Espino, let's go. Bison's oh. <laughs> talk plus. Okay, see you, buddy. See you guys. I was Blake Murphy of the Raptors show. Yeah, it's true. Like in the moment, OG Ananobi is the the better player. Like when you when you consummated that trade, you're like OG Ananobi does the one thing better than anybody does one thing of the three players that were traded. Plays defense. Yeah, his defense is unbelievable Mm -hmm. and is more than capable three-point shooter but yeah you can see a scenario especially given an expanded role more than the one he had in new york coming off the bench that emmanuel quickly turns into like an upper echelon starting guard in the league yeah it's unlikely to hit that type of home run 
a second time around, especially. And OG was a, a pending free agent as well. He's going to decline his option. And yeah, we all understand like the, maybe the things that are working below the surface, his agent and you know the, the general manager of the Knicks, uh, yeah, being tightly yes. uh, connected. And, and maybe like, yeah, the, the, an understanding that an extension is forthcoming and what the terms of that might might be. But yeah, it's unlikely to do that again. You're you're probably not going to get somebody as good as Pascal Siakam in a Pascal Siakam trade. But Pascal Siakam's thirty years old, and the core of your team is now like twenty three. Yeah, it, it. I am intrigued though. It does make me wonder when you get a guy like quickly, and you know R.J. Barrett too, being around that age, and filling those guys out around Scotty Barnes. It does make me wonder, like, how many more of those kind of guys are there out there? Like, do they exist? And we know that the, the Kings don't want to move on for Ke- from Keegan Marie. He's a guy that sort of fits that mold. How many guys are out there that mm-hmm. haven't don't currently get the opportunity mm-hmm. on their team but are ready to blossom? And I guess historically, looking at the job that the front office of the Raptors has done, they've been pretty good at identifying those kind of guys. And so it, it's hard for me personally to look at it and say, well, like, they can't get another guy because I, I, I have the confidence in the front office in that sense. But yeah, it's this is a this is a franchise altering decision here. Mm-hmm. Like, do they keep them, play out the string, or do they make the deal and try and get younger and see moving forward? Like, it's it's the franchise is on, is on tinterhooks here. Yeah, and it's it's a good point about hey, enjoying what we're seeing, but not making the same same mistakes that they did in twenty one twenty two, where you got a weirdo season where teams are playing with like half their team because of the COVID restrictions. And the Raptors go on this incredible second half run and then push the Sixers to six games. You're like, well, this is it. This is the start of the thing. Project 6-9, it's coming to fruition. And you spend two seasons in the wilderness because you're trying to get back to that thing that you saw for a limited sample. You don't want to do that here. But yeah. For four games, it looks pretty damn good. And at least we're going to get I can't believe I want them to just keep going. Yeah. Like, I can't believe we got here in a week. It's unbelievable. Uh, Jesse, this is a lot of fun. Uh, fun. Thanks for doing Amazing, this. man. Thanks for having me. It was, it was a blast. All right. Uh, Brandon will be back tomorrow. This has been the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590 The Fan.